Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place, the podcast that asks people what helps them manage their mental health in the hope we can all learn a little something about our own. Today, I'm chatting to poet and best-selling author, Charlie Cox. I just always liked rhyme. I loved verse. I loved the rhythm of it. I think there's such like a lovely neatness in being able to tell a story in a really abstract vignette. You are physically taking something so intangible and so scary and so messy and putting it on a piece of paper or putting it in your phone and you can see it for what it is. It then becomes this thing that's outside of you. As soon as it's outside of you, it feels manageable and it it doesn't feel like it is this big, scary monster in your body. It's just a couple of words on a piece of paper that sound quite nice. Charlie's writing focuses on destigmatizing mental health. In fact, she's an ambassador for research charity MQ Health. She speaks so eloquently about why penning your thoughts, literally putting pen to paper, can help you find clarity and reveal feelings you didn't realise you even had. As well as pondering on many of the brilliant things Charlie said, I also ended up going off on many tangents and also revealing parts of my past that I've never really talked about before. But, you know, we've created a a comfy, safe space here at Happy Place, so (laughs) I've got to use it wisely as well. So today I share something I haven't before. Right, should we do it? Here's the show. Charlie. Hello, my angel. How are you? I'm really, really well. Now, I want to ask you how you are, because having followed you on Instagram for some time now and following your wonderfully authentic and honest updates, I know at the weekend you weren't feeling so great. So where are you at today? (sighs) Thank you. Um, God, isn't it lovely for someone to genuinely ask how you are and not want you to come out with bump and nonsense? No, no bump around here. We don't have bump. (laughs) Give a proper (laughs) response. Um, I'm doing loads better. So the weekend was a bit tricky. I I have bipolar 2 disorder, which means my life is incredibly unpredictable. But yeah, it sometimes you just get a sudden spike and you don't really know that it's going to happen or it's it just comes out of nowhere. And yeah, it was a, a delicious cocktail of um, insane anxiety and psychosis, which... Isn't that fun? <laughs> no. And and how did that manifest this weekend? You know, is it is it differing every time? Um, do you know what? I have I have noticed that uh, it's taken quite a lot to say this. It's definitely my fault for not listening to my body and just expecting too much of myself. I think we're all really we're all really guilty of doing that and I often have to remind myself that before I am an illness, I am a human being that's just trying. So Sometimes you 
just do too much, burn the candle at both ends. And I forget that I am not as capable as everybody else, which is just a crap thing to admit, isn't it? It's a, a hard thing for you to let yourself believe. But it's true. Yeah. Well, I think so many of us feel like that. And also, are we meant to be coping in this craziness we're living in? Like, not only what we're living through, but outside of the pandemic, just where we're at with the modern world, with the velocity of everything, but, you know, technology and this constant update and connection and and how we compare ourselves to others and how we've got this warped idea of what normal is, although that doesn't exist. Like, are any of us meant to be coping in that? I don't think so. I really don't think so. And I think it's only getting worse, um, even though, you know, we're all doing a really like stellar, lovely job of trying to be more open and more honest and more authentic about what we all experience and what we feel. But I do sometimes worry as well that we are now having a conversation around mental health and conflating it with illness. And it then becomes, you know, we've got all this new like vernacular in language about something that actually like scientists don't really even understand themselves. And we're trying to put it in layman's terms before we really get it. Mm. Well, isn't it, isn't it interesting that we use the term mental health in a really strange way because of course what we need to do right at the start of this conversation is distinguish the difference between mental health and mental illness so like looking after your mental health and doing the things that might have been commodified commercialized but are talked about readily versus mental illness which is where you will be diagnosed and you will then make a a decision as to how you live your life after that. And I think there is a huge amount of conflation around using the word mental health. And it's, it's I'm not judging anyone, you know, we're just learning on the job. We're, we're going through life yeah. as we can. We're learning about mental health. But I think that distinction is, is, is really important. For anybody that doesn't know so much about bipolar and bipolar 2, could you just talk to us a little bit about that if you're comfortable with that? Yeah. So I was diagnosed when I was 17, which is relatively uh, rare for women. So a lot of women don't get diagnosed until they're in their mid to late 30s. Even at 17, when I was diagnosed, it was a pretty tricky, tricky trial and error process because doctors love to assume as a woman that you're just hormonal or you're sad about boys, (laughs) Um, which I was not. Um, But bipolar 2, they believe that it's a hereditary illness. They believe you're either born with it or it comes through experiencing some kind of trauma early on in life. I still don't know which one (laughs) mine is. Uh, I doubt I will ever know, which is really frustrating. It means that your life is, it's marked by hypermanic states and depressive episodes. So for me, a hypermanic state is not really needing to sleep. I don't really need to eat anything. Um, I'm super creative. I'm also quite reckless. So I, you know, will spend exorbitant amount of money without thinking about the consequence of that. You have like this crazy high sex drive. And again, like you're not really thinking about like the consequence of what that could mean. Um, And you just really act very instinctly on your actions as opposed to thinking things through and being rational and sometimes it's great (laughs) there's such a case for I know now fortunately lots of other people with bipolar too and we all say you know if somebody came up with a cure I don't think I would take it because the manic state is incredible you know you do feel somewhat superhuman and um like a 
little messiah that's running around life going, I know so much more than you and I can do all these things and I'm incredible. Uh, but then the reality is as soon as that starts to crash, you're incredibly agitated. You're an absolute nightmare to be friends with. I'm amazed that I have people in my life that love me. Um, <laughs> and and then the depressive episode hits and it's, I guess it's, it is very similar to um, classically what we know as depression. And both of those things can last anywhere from a couple of weeks to a couple of months. Um, yeah, I tend every three to four months I get an episode switch over. So is there always, just from my own understanding, because I'm learning on the job with a lot of these things and deeply curious about them, is there always a big depressive low that follows the the manic period? For me, yes. Um, The way that I best understand it is if you think about your brain overproducing so much dopamine and so many different like chemical madnesses going on in your head, at some point it's going to exhaust itself and your body then goes into like depletion and you need recovery. For other people, they can be absolutely fine after a manic state if they've been looked after and they've sought help. But I think that is also the tricky one is I am getting better now at learning when I'm in an episode. Uh, Previously, I I would have had no idea. Now that I do know, it means that if I get help in a timely manner, then I shouldn't crash so hard and I can kind of eke it out a little bit nicer for myself. But it's never pleasant. What might that help look like? Because I think, you know, you've touched on something really important there that the concept of self-awareness with anything in life is is brilliant because you can mark your own personal cycles. You can see that, you know, in your case, maybe that sort of undulating situation you're going through. Um in those moments where you go, oh, right, I, I'm in it, I can see, I know the pattern here, what what might you do? Um, first and foremost, always call my GP <laughs> and say, hi, I think, I, I think this is it. I think I'm struggling. And they're really good at then, well, they, they are getting better. I wouldn't say they're fabulous, but they are getting better at going, okay, well, then let's have a look at your medication. It's all very trial and error, but they will then have a look at what I'm taking to see if there's anything that could be causing me to spike and therapy I mean I'm a big believer in therapy before crisis point is just the most life-changing thing because you're really interested and you actually want to learn about how it is you feel and how best to deal with things so then I will call my therapist and be like hello can we just chat this through for the next half an hour and can you tell me if what I'm saying is sane and rational and if it's not then maybe we need to do something about it um And just being nice to myself. I know that's such a basic thing to say, but I think that they're like with any illness where you know that it doesn't just affect you, but it affects the people around you. There's a huge level of guilt and shame around experiencing an episode because, you know, it's not just you that has to suffer the process of that. It's incredibly frightening for my friends and family. They I think they are all constantly in a heightened sense of worry that it could happen. And frankly, I don't think I'm probably particularly nice to hang out with when it happens. So trying to dissolve that guilt of it's not my fault. I have nothing to feel guilty for. I am giving myself the best possible chance. I've got through this before and I will get through this again and again and again and again. And that that does feel quite soothing once you just sit within it and be present and know it's okay it's fine it's shit it's hard it's horrible it's scary but you're I'm capable of getting through it and there are people around me that 
know how to look after me better than I do and it's worth listening to them. Yeah, so there's that element of surrender and going, right, I need to talk to somebody else or I need friends to deal with here. And also, from being a big fan of your poetry, I'm imagining, I don't I don't know if it, it helps soothe you in any way, but certainly becomes some sort of channel for some of the stuff that you're feeling and experiencing and trying to unpick. So when did you first think, cool, this is for me, poetry's making me feel good or creating some sort of sense of equilibrium? Like, where did that fit into your life? Oh, such a good way of explaining it. I would um, thank you for giving me that. It, it does feel like a sense of equilibrium. Um, I think I was about five. Wow. I just always liked rhyme. I loved verse. I loved the rhythm of it. I think there's such like a lovely neatness in being able to tell a story in a really abstract vignette. Then as a teenager, I was... <laughs> I think I was rewriting Arctic Monkey lyrics in Backs of Homework Diaries about boys and years above and started to realise that that was the only real way that I could come to terms with such intense teenage feelings of like new love and unrequited love and stress. And and then I think there was a period of time around about when I was 15, 16, and I'd been writing I mean, some incredibly dark, tragic teenage poetry, which is brilliant. I think the best poets in the world are teenagers because they just express things in the most unforgiving way. And I took them to my doctor and I said, hey, this isn't right, is it? And that was how I started to go about getting my formal diagnosis was going in with all this poetry saying, these are all the things that I don't quite know how to put language to. And it's really frightening and scary to talk about in a more like prosaic way, but to say it in an abstract. Um, I think what's lovely about it is you are physically taking something so intangible and so scary and so messy and putting it on a piece of paper or putting it in your phone and you can see it for what it is. It then becomes this thing that's outside of you as soon as it's outside of you, it feels manageable and it, it doesn't feel like it is this big, scary monster in your body. It's just a couple of words on a piece of paper that sound quite nice. And we're quite basic as human beings. You know, any little any little joy that you can get from turning pain into something aesthetic is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and I think you're so... I feel the same, you know. I, um, I mean, like... Privately, I've written poetry for years, but it feels like that next level too intimate for me to share. I don't, I just don't, I don't know. I've never felt like it was the right time to go read this in case someone says something about it because it feels so raw and like part of me. But it's paradoxical in the sense that, you know, even when I'm writing my books, you you write it and it's there and you're, it, you have more clarity over it. So you can see it for what it is but with that like you just said comes this slight detachment and distance from it it's so weird it's like you get it more but you're a bit further away from it and I've I've read you know you say before sort of imparting advice to people write until it's uncomfortable like write down the things that you can't say out loud I'm guessing for that very reason yeah and it's also write for yourself and not for an audience I mean I think generally speaking any writer will always give you that advice you should not write with other people in mind write with what you would like to read but we don't really get an opportunity in life very often to have private safe conversations with ourselves you know we're busy we're rushing 
we've got work, we've got kids, we've got relationships, we've, you know, we've got a global pandemic, we've got awful politicians, you know, our brains are constantly flitting between trying to work out what the hierarchy of stress is. And to sit within yourself and write out exactly what it is that is making your brain work, I, it, I always think it shocks you. You're you're always surprised by what it is you and, and how easy it is to therapise yourself and go, wow, I am so much smarter than I would ever let yeah. myself believe. And I know myself better than anyone else ever can. I'm just not giving myself the tools to to see that. And there is an incredible sense of confidence and I guess ultimately self-love that comes from that because you're nurturing what you've, you're innate with. We're all born with this sense of knowing and we do know ourselves and it's really easy to believe that you don't because we, we live in a world that's constantly telling us that we're a bit stupid. Yes, and we're lacking in something. I think that's so brilliant because we don't talk about wisdom enough, right? Like everyone's looking for like intellectual academic intelligence or who looks a certain way. And it's like, where's wisdom in this? I'd, I'd like to cultivate my own inner wisdom or uncover it, however you want to try and, you know, describe that inner wisdom that you've just talked of there. And writing seems to be a real fast track to it. If you're writing, like you've just said again, without thinking of anyone seeing it and without too much mental rumination that you just let your pen or if you're typing whatever it is flow because you'll see quite quickly what you really think and it is a really interesting exercise because if I was saying something out loud to you now aware that other people would listen to this or even that you were listening to the words I'm saying I might self-edit I'd say what I think I should say because other people might judge me if I say this it might sound selfish or whatever when you're writing for you none of that matters and you go, oh, that's what I that's what I feel like. I'm so excited to hear you say all of this. <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> I love like, it. it's so great. And it's and that's how it should feel. It should feel exciting and it is joyful that we have this inside of us. Like we have all of this built within us and we're so frightened to access this power of like just knowing, like this great sense of of knowing and it's understandable we we all perform every day in in however we choose to to cope I mean you know we absolutely nobody should be shamed for that anything that you can do to cope every day and to get through a very strange life that we all have is impressive that we've even developed that as a tool to know that that's what makes us feel better but if you're performing when you're on your own I think that's when it gets quite frightening and that leads to bad bad situations yeah because maybe now more than ever we need to really make conscious time to not only be on our own but to engage with ourselves and often we don't want to do that because it's too scary so we watch crap tv or we quickly call someone or worse we go into a a vortex of social media because we're avoiding being with ourselves because it's like oh I can't but there's too much stuff in my head and I can't sort it out and again rather than just sitting there and worrying about stuff again I think writing you know I'm a Virgo I want to have things organized so for me writing stuff down is like that is an organized thought that I can see clearly and I have better understanding of and I'm not getting confused with outside opinion or worries about what other people think of me. It's your thoughts. And whatever they are, there's no right or wrong. They're okay. There's no hierarchy. Like, there, there is no... 
And I, th- I think it's about so many things and it's becoming more and more confusing and, and more difficult to really feel good and confident about this. But when you take away this essence of good and bad and what is better or worse, who's deciding that what is good or bad and what and why am I believing that? And then why yeah. am I turning that against myself? I know. And then hang on a minute. How have I downloaded language that I don't know where it's come from? I don't know if I actually believe it. And now I'm using it to berate myself what <laughs> it doesn't make any sense and how and then how if I know that how can I be okay with that why am I not trying to do something about it um and that's why writing it down is so powerful because as soon as your pen hits a bit of paper or and I, I often suggest um when I do work in schools with kids you know, if you're more used to having your phone in your hand, type it out in your notes. I personally think writing with a pen is better because, you know, then you can see what you actively try and cross out or when you're trying to self-edit. But it's it, it's quite easy to just sit and tap something away as though you're chatting to a best friend or, you know, you are sending a text message to yourself. And you're gifting yourself an incredible, an incredible moment of hindsight for foresight if that makes sense, where you can give that piece of writing space, you can give it some time and then look back on it. And I'm always amazed at what I thought was important enough to write down in a moment and how trivial it is to future me. Mm. You know, looking back on things and thinking, really? That's That's empowering, though. That's empowering because the stuff we're dealing with now, we probably won't give a shit about in 10 years. You know, we just won't. I mean, we absolutely will not. But you, you think... Nope, this is it. This is the point. This is what's really stressing me out. This is really important. This is life changing. And then even like three weeks later, you look at it and think, wow, (laughs) was it? (laughs) I know. I think what I'm really what I'm really getting from this so far, and I don't think I've given this enough thought, is that we don't give ourselves enough time, even inside our own heads, where we're just freely thinking and being curious about life without worrying about because we're so used to outside opinion now it's been completely normalized outside opinion from strangers is totally normal and it wasn't 10 years ago it would have been like excuse me you don't know me you have no comment on my life you have no bearing on my life I have an opinion fine but it's not it's not for me we're so used to that transaction now of people having such an overtly opinionated belief of who we are or what we're saying that we're constantly self-editing. And what we all need to do is just make a bit of room to be completely unfiltered for us, not to show anyone else. We have to be authentic to other people, but just for us, like we need that. And I, and I get it. It's scary. But so is so is all the other good stuff in your life. It's really scary. And it's scary because it's feelings and they're things you can't see and you're aware that they are such like noxious gases in your body like as soon as you know you're consumed by something you worry that you can't get out of it but you can you always do you always do otherwise you know we wouldn't be sat here living breathing having this conversation you always get through it and the best way to do it is to lean into it the worst thing you can do is pretend it's not there and it becomes I I think once you reframe it for yourself it's not oh, I've got to unpack all of this stuff. It's, wow, if I go in with this in a more curious mindset and I'm interested in seeing what does that mean and what does that mean for me and how has that 
shaped who I am and is there a lesson that I can be learning in this is there a reason that I'm feeling these feelings now as opposed to in 10 years time like what kind of wisdom is going to come out of this it becomes less frightening to explore your thoughts and feelings and it it becomes an exciting thing it becomes this like wow I've I've got all this knowledge in my head that I just need to untangle jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com a lot of the time, we are scared of outside opinion because of how extreme the reaction has become to people with different ideas to us, which is, a th- I talk about this all the time. I've talked about it on Instagram. I've talked about it on the podcast, obviously resulting in cancel culture in the most ex- extreme circumstances. But we've started to see disagreement as something that's wrong, which is so weird because, you know, there I, there's loads of things that I disagree with my husband about but I love him more than anything but we have totally different views on some things in life and with some of my best mates and I'm sure I like you very much and I'm sure we've got different ideas about life yeah that's fine there's nothing wrong with that it's how we deal with that disagreement and how we then look for a connection in other ways and I think cancel culture is spilling out into our everyday life and we're becoming more scared of feeling like we don't belong or that we will be cancelled forever and that that scares the hell out of me, if I'm honest. It, yeah, me too. And it scares it scares me realizing how much of that has taken over a lot of my life. Yeah. And a lot, I, I look at a lot of my friends, and even you know, even my 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 mum, my my nan. I think, God, you are you are more frightened than you ever were. And it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have opinions. It's oh, it's almost bizarre, isn't it that social media was promised to us as a community builder but it's the most devoid of communion thing that we have in our lives there is no sense of communion in the communities that we are a part of online because we're not allowed to explore or express in a way that's forgiving forgiveness is the thing right because we're so... We're all just human. I know, we're going we're gonna to fuck up all the time. And, and, and good, because how, what's going to happen then? We're going to learn. We're going to grow. <laughs> and it's like all these people sort of who do point fingers or, I mean, I may have even done it in the past, you know, you sort of subconsciously judge people and you're not cancelling them overtly, but you might have mentally done that. Like, oh, I'm not looking at their thing again. And it's like, wait a minute, can I forgive myself for the things that I've, made mistakes with because we all have there's no exception there and therefore can I forgive others and and see where they go next could this be an interesting path for them to go somewhere else and I think we've got to start readdressing that I don't know how but we have to because also the other thing I sort of worry about and and you you speak about this a lot in your book validate me and and that sort of exterior noise and the sense that we're all subconsciously sort of diluting ourselves or self-editing and therefore we're seeing less rebels. And I mean, I use the word without any negative connotation, like, you know, game changers, people who go against the grain, people we would have seen previously in history like David Bowie. We're seeing less of them 
because people are so scared in case they their opinion is wrong in somehow or the way they're expressing themselves is wrong in somehow rather than just being oh it's just a different way of expressing yourself i think we've all we've all really <laughs> kind of forgotten that like it just doesn't matter and, and and we've forgotten what we want from these conversations i don't, nobody's really going for anything with a point anymore surely in you know in a very simplistic sense Surely the end goal in everything that we do should be a vague sense of happiness or contentment. Otherwise, what's the point? So when we have these conversations with people online that we don't agree with or we're faced with an opinion that we that doesn't sit right with us, what do you want from that? Do you want to have an argument that's going to make you feel stressed out? Do you want that person to suffer the consequence of them having an opinion that you don't agree with? Or would you rather live in a world where you could say, okay, I understand that that's your point. Have you thought about it like this? And then they'll say, oh, no, I haven't thought about it like that. That's quite interesting. And then you have a proper bit of dialogue and communication and you're both learning and it's interesting and ooh, curious and happiness. And, and then it's a positive thing. It's a really like positive thing. It's a bit like shouting at a waitress because your food's bad knowing that the chef's gonna spit in it like instead of going I'm really sorry would you mind taking this back um it just wasn't quite how I wanted it then you know that they're gonna do that in a really kind loving way be like no worries we're really sorry I think people just maybe want to feel like they're right because in their life previously they felt so wrong like they're getting it wrong so any moment where they can channel that and feel a bit sanctimonious and like they're right that's what sometimes people are going for because, you know, maybe they are missing the point or maybe I've done it in the past, missing the point of just looking for peace, contentment and happiness. Like feeling right isn't going to get you anywhere. And so what? You're right. OK, well, right is subjective anyway. So that's all out the window. Who cares? I mean, where it, your book Validate Me is brilliant and it's so wonderfully eloquent and creative talking around this whole subject matter that we've been flitting about and and sort of owning and acknowledging your, not just your, everybody's need, but you're talking about your own life, need for this exterior validation and to feel accepted by other people. Where are you at with that today? Having obviously a real astute and acute sense of what that feels like and what you might do in those situations. Um, Where are you at with, with looking or seeking outside validation today? Oh, I am so happy and freed to tell you I could not give less of a shit anymore. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, at the grand old age of 25, I can tell you. Well, I that's just... quicker than me, babe. I'm going to be 40 <laughs> this year and I'm just getting there. Well done you. As long as you get there. Yeah, true. As long true. as you get there. Um, and... You know, I'm probably going to fuck up and and forget about that next week as I'm doing something else, <laughs> and then I have to revisit it again and refine the route to freedom. Um, but it's just so futile. It's so futile, constantly relying on an inconsistent source to give you something that innately you are capable of feeding yourself all damn day. It's lazy, and and it. it, it it leaves you totally unattuned to yourself and your self-knowledge and your self-wisdom. And and it's just like, it's boring. I, I, I was weighing up, you know, how many hours have I spent in a bathroom away from a party with my friends to scroll on my phone 
to feel anxious or to touch up my makeup because I'm worried that it's not going to look right in a photo or to belittle myself and really feed unworthiness on my own when I could be six feet away from that door stood with friends having a nice time what a waste of my life that that that's amalgamated in and when you say it out loud like that you realize how insane it is that you would ever choose to do that but we do we make those choices all the time whether that is following people on instagram that we know are going to make us feel bad or engaging in some kind of weird Twitter argument or like calling like you know actively that when you're engaging with that it's going to make you feel worse you're going to be inviting all this crap back into your life why because you want a stranger to think that you're right or pretty or better than them so that doesn't give you anything there's there's no you don't get happiness from that. You certainly don't get any money from it. Uh, you don't change the world. Um, cute kittens don't appear on your doorstep. Like there's, there is no rhyme or reason as to why that is a good thing other than... It's just habit, isn't it? Now it's habit. It's habit that we do it and it's a bad habit and we all need to get out of it, but we all get so addicted. There's a line that I really like that I've written down. Well, I like all of the lines, but there's one I, I wrote down here. Um, you only take photos when you think something might die. You only post photos hoping it'll survive. You really see the severity here of this dangerous slope we're perhaps slipping down where... Are we posting photos so that we can prove to ourselves we exist and have meaning in the universe? Is that what we're hoping for? That we can look back at it and go, there I am, I'm there, I must exist. I must be somebody that has you know, a place in the universe. Is that what we're subconsciously doing? We're, we're all orchestrating a really odd performance as though there's going to be a time where we all get to sit down and watch it. <laughs> yeah. Like, what what are we all rehearsing for? It's really like, what? why is this strange production of things happening as though, you know, the whole world is going to sit in front of a big screen and we're all going to spend then all of eternity watching each other's little slideshow of a life like that that doesn't happen <laughs> it's not it's not gonna happen and thank god it's not gonna happen because that would be incredibly dull but we uh, you know it's I, I always think Grayson Perry really opened my brain to this with explaining that you know the art world is bullshit because you're told what's beautiful and if someone tells you enough times that something is beautiful then you believe it's beautiful and you you forget that you have an opinion um and having an opinion over a painting is not the end of the world you can think something looks a bit crap even if everyone else celebrates it you know it's why we walk around art galleries going um yeah it's great yeah it's impressive and we're all scared to say Oh, do you know what? My five-year-old could have done done that, that. yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's fine. That's fine. You're supposed to feel like that. But people can't make money from you if you're not, you know, in that that trained idea of, like, believing what is beautiful Mm. because you've been told it. And I think it's exactly the same with how we measure success now. It's how we dress. It's how we look at ourselves. It's the books we read. It's the music that, you know, we choose to listen to. There's so everything now down to our our likes and our habits and our preferences are all recorded in some way that we can then share. And we've never been so conscious of what other people could think of who we are behind closed doors. Which makes us more easily trainable. 
<laughs> we are so easily trained to think anything. And maybe, you know, we all know this, that the biggest driving force for control from whoever it is, if it's corporations or government or whoever it might be, is using fear. And the fear in this context, when we're looking at outside validation, social media specifically, is a fear that you're not valid, you don't count, you're not accepted. And we're all coming from sort of that place rather than what genuinely makes me tick and what painting do I genuinely like. Yeah. And and, and why do we care so much about someone not liking that? Why do we care so much? Because we're so scared of, you know, does it go back to tribal times, you know, ancient people who had to be in a community or a tribe to get fed, to feel safe, to perhaps nomadically move with safety. We're using that concept of wanting to feel connected to save us from our own self-loathing. Yes, that that hit a very specific part of my stomach as you said that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can all go home now. You've done it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so bleak. It's, a, you know, and I, 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 we can all sit here and go, there are some good bits of social media. You know, I use it. I like, I put a post out about anxiety the other day, as as you did. And it's a lovely thing where one of my neighbours called me and said, I didn't know you were going through that. Me too. Beautiful. Amazing. But let's be aware, perhaps, of the times when, I do this all the time. I'm posting because I feel a bit shit and I want someone to tell me I'm okay. It's the awareness of it, isn't it, as well? Also, it's so much easier to blame our tools than it is to blame ourselves. Yes. Um, You know, I think whenever there's a news bulletin or there's another article about how, you know, social media giants have made it so that these things are actively addictive and it's more addictive than cocaine and heroin. Um, I'm like, yes, but also when we talk about addiction you know we take it seriously as a disease and you know that you need proper effective long-term treatment for that you know if you are in recovery you're in recovery for the rest of your life and and that's why some people don't touch drugs because they're scared they could get addicted but we don't think about that in the sense of when we talk about social media addiction we're not going maybe I need to look at how I am using this. Am I using this recreationally or am I now dependent on it? Am I using this to screen out any negative or happy thought that I have? Have I now just become reliant on this thing giving me enough dopamine or shame or anything that my little biased brain wants to hear instead of feeling feelings and it's really similar yeah you're so right because you know I've I've perhaps portrayed in this conversation quite a one-sided dimension of of this interaction looking at how we're looking for a boost but you're so right I've been digging for some um, real self-torture on social media before like how can I absolutely torture myself here how can I make myself feel absolutely awful by looking at it so we do both and it's uh, equally important to look at why are we why are we doing that like the good and the bad side of it stupid things like you know I do this all the time and I have no idea why am I doing this sometimes I will find an ex-boyfriend who I haven't thought about for like seven years have no good reason to find him on social media then I'll find his new girlfriend then suddenly it's 2014 and we're in Jamaica with her family <laughs> and, and and I hate myself. 
Why do we do? What is this? What's wrong with us? That's not rational. Why have I done that? Because we're picking at a scab and we're, I don't know, we're, it's probably easier to do that than to be like, nope, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm walking away. Like we, we drown in it. And also it kind of makes sense of our pain maybe. Yeah. Like this is why I'm feeling so shit because of that. And it wasn't, we felt shit before, but we need a reason to feel shit. So we're like, we go looking for the reason. What could be, oh, that's the reason. It's the holiday in Jamaica seven years ago. If that's the reason, then we need a more serious talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're so weird, aren't we? We're Babe, so that's ruined your day. I know. We're, but we all do it. We all do this stuff. Um, I, I really want to hear more about, you know, you're, you're now turning this wonderful creativity and um, beautiful way of expressing things that we're all feeling, but, you know, acutely directed to your experience of life into an exhibition so you're you're bringing it to life you're you're making it happen it's not just words on a page it's it's stuff tell us about how you're doing this and what you want from it for yourself for your own self-healing and I guess for other people to hook into and to resonate with oh it's you know it's just it's so scary even hearing you say any of that it suddenly became very real (laughs) It's happening. It is a real thing, um, which is, in, you know, is incredibly exciting. But as with all things, sharing pieces of you is always a bit daunting. Um, so I am a sentimental slob. I am a hoarder of everything. I have kept every receipt from every first date I have ever been on, which is depressingly quite a large envelope of receipts. I love that. It's adorable. Uh, um, I have got the window locks from my childhood bedroom because at the age of nine, I thought if they can't lock the windows, no one's going to buy the house. Actually quite sensible. (laughs) Uh, um, I've got cigarette butts from like poignant conversations that I've had with people. I've, I've kept all of this stuff to the point where friends have always joked if anyone needs an alibi Charlie, <laughs> she's probably got some evidence That's of great. where you were on That's that day great. and over lockdown I think you know like we all did we all really morbidly started to question our mortality and, and become so faced with it in a way where we had to kind of I guess grapple with the piece of that and I thought oh my god if if I go tomorrow the only thing I have to bequeath is all the crap under my bed that's the only thing I can put in a will I haven't I haven't got stocks and shares on money I haven't got any property I've just got receipts and corks and keys and like just weird yeah but they've got meaning they're things with meaning Charlie that's beautiful they're things with stories stories and hope and lesson and um and I thought what a shame that they all just sit under my bed and they'd probably get thrown away why don't I tell those stories um, why don't I share that? Why don't I also give myself a bit of credence and a break over, wow, look at all this lesson learning you've done. Look at all these really incredible times in your life where you didn't necessarily think that you'd make it another six months and you did. You know, there's a whole shoebox of proof that you got through that. And I love that. And we all do it. We all we all do it in some way. We all put like we all ascribe meaning to to inanimate objects Um like little souvenirs from the past and yeah it's beautiful it's um it's almost again bucking against the trend or our habitual nature of you know using phones to express ourselves because often again if you're I don't know talking about posting pictures online 
it's a moment without the meaning. Like that is a moment and it looks amazing, but there's no meaning. Whereas you've got something as sort of, you know, every day is a cork that's packed, like drenched in meaning. And it, again, it feels like it's um, it's rebelling against that, which is a really good thing. It's even just making it, and I, I cannot... Um... I cannot recommend doing this enough. And I, I love it when you post pictures of when you've been drawing or when you've been painting. It, it's funny, actually, because it immediately makes me feel more connected to you as a person when I see that. It makes me un- it makes me feel like I understand you a bit better. And because it is so vulnerable, like, pay, it, it sounds silly, but like showing someone your anything creative is so vulnerable because it's a physical manifestation of the energy that you've had to let out of your body. And I I'm not a trained artist. In fact, my art teacher at school, who was an absolute cow, um, <laughs> hated me. Um, was basically like, "You're terrible at this." But and it upset me because I loved it so much. And now, as an adult, over lockdown, I was like, "I'm going to be an artist. I've decided that." And do you know what makes me an artist is the fact that I make art, <laughs> not because I'm good at it, not because I'm amazing, but because I'm doing it. And sitting fun I have so many clay ashtrays oh I, ordered... I love the one you did the other day there was a bottle with like pink paint dripping down it and you know what just making that made me feel good gorgeous you know like doing stuff with your hands and and you know just giving yourself a break yeah you can do this stuff and it does feel good and there doesn't have to be a reason no, for exactly. it exactly going back to the um to what you'll be displaying in the exhibition all these lovely little knickknacks that you've collected over the years sometimes we see being sentimental or nostalgic as a, a negative like you know oh, you've got your head stuck in the past or even I'll curse myself for it. Like, why are you thinking back to the time before you felt awful or whatever and when you used to be a normal, in inverted commas? And actually, I think it's a really lovely way. And we talked about this with Mike Viking on the podcast a while ago. And he was saying how nostalgia is a wonderful way to, I think he used the term, like, escape the limitations of the present moment. Mm. What a lovely thing. Why not? Why not escape to the past? Yeah, and celebrate yourself. You don't, you know, I think it's funny that pretty much everything we've spoken about has hinged on this idea that we don't give ourselves time. We don't give ourselves time that we deserve. And, you know, sure as hell, anything that happened to you five years ago, you did not give yourself the time to take a step back and go, wow, I survived that. Or wow, I did that. Or wow, I showed up in that situation. Or wow, look how far I've come in that space of time where I would have dealt with that so much better now. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that a really beautiful marker of strength and hope and and lesson learning? Like There is nothing lovelier than being able to prove to yourself, like we've said about photos, that you exist, but exist to you and exist in things and moments. And there's there's so much nuance in life that we are flattening every day because if it if you can't fit it into a caption or a tweet or you can't take a nice picture of it or you don't think it's going to perform well then we just kind of block it out it becomes irrelevant to us and you miss it you you miss all the the corks <laughs> you miss all the hotel room key cards and there's nothing lovelier than having it's like time travel 
It's like it's when you smell mm. something, you're immediately back in that space. Or... Oh, I love that one. When you get a smell, it is. Or a song, like I heard, um, oh, it was a dodgy song from the 90s. I can't think which which track it was and I can't even tell you what that particular dodgy track took me back to but it was a feeling and I was like mm. oh, it's the summer holidays and I'm off school and I'm a bit free and uh, there's probably a boy I fancy and it was like oh my god it's the feeling of it like why not teleport back to that yeah and it's magic it's magic like, if you said to a kid if you press play on this you'll get taken back 10 years you would sit and press that button all day long being like, wow, I'm a, yeah. like, I can perform real life magic. Why have we lost that sense of wonder as adults? Like it is, it's incredible that we can do that. And it's incredible that our bodies respond that way to, to old energy. I've got such regret in a huge way. And I don't know if I've ever talked about this publicly before. I'm very happy to talk about it. But I, I'm much like you. I'm deeply nostalgic. I'm massively sentimental. I would, you know, I remember one year being uh, 14. We were on a camping holiday in the Isle of Wight. I fancied the lifeguard. The whole week felt like I was there for a month. I remember the songs playing. And I made, I bought one of these little plastic folders. And I put in shells from the beach, um, a, a letter that I'd written to my cousin, like bits, all these bits, and I kept them. I don't know where they are, but what I do know is I, I sort of did that and then I went into sort of diary writing all through my teens and 20s, pouring everything out. And then when I had a very dark time in my late 20s, early 30s, it's all a bit blurry, I I burned it all. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, all of it. And I, because I was like, I can't, I couldn't deal with my life. So I thought I'm going to get rid of it. And I got rid of all of it. And I've made an element of peace with it. Like I did it because I had to. But then I think, oh man, what was in there? That makes me, I feel very emotional about that. Me too, because I, honestly, like there's bits and bobs in the loft, but the majority of it, I said to my dad, take it burn it I want all of it burnt it's gone I cannot have I felt like I could burn my past I thought I could get rid of my past and you can't it's still there I still have therapy about it all the time (laughs) but I thought I could physically rid myself of it and if anything from talking to you today I think it's boosted my confidence somewhat to go no I think I can start collecting stuff again and being equally as sentimental as I used to be without the fear that my past is going to like bite me on the arse you know yeah. it, it only has teeth if you give it teeth you're so right it only you're has teeth so if you right give it teeth. I'm I'm excited for for future ferns shoe boxes yeah I've got to do it I think you know your exhibition it really leapt out at me when I heard about it because I knew I had done that and I was like wow and also knowing what you live with, and I'm sure there are times where you have periods of your life that you would like to block out, I think it's even 100%. more amazing that you're willing to put it all out there and go, look, yeah, I did that. And it happened, you know. Hats off. You're much more courageous than I am. I think it's brilliant. And, um, and I think you'll inspire people to do the same. And I guess it is about an ownership of your past, isn't it? It's like we don't have to block bits out of our past it's all relevant it's all relevant and it's all interesting yeah you know you think of when thank you that's such 
such a lovely thing to say. Thank you. Um, I, you think of going to a dinner party and someone sat next to you and all they talk about is the weather. And you're like, uh. But if someone sat next to you and said, told you about a traumatic thing that happened to them 10 years ago, you'd actually probably be really grateful. <laughs> and the most interesting things about us are the things that have happened and the, the stories that, you know, the anecdotes, the things we choose to tell. My friends and I, whenever we are faced with a decision, usually in our love lives, we ask the question, okay, you're 60 years old, you're making a cup of tea, you're waiting for the kettle to boil, which version of reality would you rather be reminiscing over? Pick the more exciting one, pick the interesting bit, do that. Because, you know, you don't want to be sort of making a cup of tea thinking, remember that time I didn't snog the boy? You want to be going, remember the time I snogged the boy? It was amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, exactly. And I think it's helpful when you... We've all just got so much bloody unlearning to do. We live in a world that really benefits from us hating ourselves. And I know. as soon as we choose to not do that, my God, everything becomes lovely. Lovely. And weirdly, it's sort of... Not that I'm all for revenge, but it's the best revenge on anyone or any big corporation or whatever that you like yeah. yourself. It's the, it is. You're not harming anyone liking yourself. It is yourself. the most radical thing that we can do. It is. Um, it is. And isn't, isn't that mad? That really, isn't that really mad? Sad. <laughs> the most radical thing you can do is to like yourself. Yep. God, man, it's just the whole thing is so crazy. And I think... From you know, like you were just saying, if you're sat next to someone at a dinner party, I I have no I have no time for small talk. I'm not interested. That's why I do this podcast. I want to go there, and I feel like I'm getting into the swing of things where I can go there even more, and I'm enjoying that, and I want to do that. And I think from each conversation I have, what keeps coming up is it's obvious, but be you, and just don't worry about the outside noise, and do what makes you feel good, and what makes you tick, and what makes you, what nurtures you, and we forget it, and we've got to, we've got to get back to it. We do, we we really do, and you know, it's you that closes your eyes at night in bed, it's you that's got to sit in your head, it's you that's got to move your arms and legs every day, why would you not focus on you, and, and it's scary that even, I mean, I'm saying this as though it's something that I believe in verbatim and I've always been this way. I mean, this is a very new feeling and I have absolutely no doubt that that will waver in maybe even the next hour. I might get off this uh, <laughs> Zoom and then go, it's a load of bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, that's fine. Like, yeah, we're changing it. And, yes. And we've got to be patient with ourselves. And it's, it's not linear. It's, it's not, not linear. linear. And thank, oh my God, imagine if it was linear. It would be so boring. Boring. I know. No, it's not. It's all over the shop and that's You want fine. the fuzziness and the spikiness and the glittery yeah. bits and the bubbles and like you want all the sensory experience of how ridiculous all of this learning is. We've just got to start looking for the joy in it and not, not what could go yeah. wrong. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And... Oh, it's been, um, wow, lovely and amazing and um, deep talking to you. I knew it would be and and it really was and I really appreciate it. And um, God, anyone out there listening to this who hasn't read Charlie's amazing poetry, do yourself a favour and so much love and luck for your exhibition. It's going to be beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, And thank you for doing this. 
just just you in general thank you for being you because it makes such an incredible difference in a really really dark dull world that you offer out this incredible space for conversation and for people to feel valid and valued and I'm sure that that's exactly how listeners feel when they listen to these as well. You are the communion in the the void community that we're building. Well, Charlie, all I can say is thank you so much for helping me explore some stuff I didn't necessarily realise I needed or wanted to talk about. (laughs) I love it when that happens. I really, really enjoyed that chat. Thank you, Charlie, for sharing so much with all of us. If you want to hear more about the role nostalgia can play in your own happiness, do go back and check out the episode that I mentioned with Mike Viking, who I absolutely adore. I would also so recommend reading Charlie's books. They're beautiful. Validate me. So excellent. Also, She Must Be Mad. Truly moving writing. Gorgeous. Do go get those books. You can follow Happy Place for free wherever you get your podcasts. That will mean you can be back here with me next week as the next episode drops. And you can also find us on Instagram at Happy Place Official. Until next week, thank you so much again to Charlie Cox, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you beautiful people for listening. Always appreciated. I hope you're all right. I'm sending you loads of love and I'll see you very soon. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.